1: Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at justaskvi.com.
0: And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull.
1: I'm Brett Winterbull. It is Devious Motives. This is episode number 23. It's really quite incredible when you think about it. We're seven episodes away, essentially, from the uh, conclusion uh, of this campaign in full as we start marching or keep marching towards Election Day on November the 3rd, 2020 A.D. And I know it feels like it's never going to end. And I feel that same way too sometimes. But let's... Let's go back to square one. Let's go back to the very beginning of, of what it means to run for office. And I know you're you're saying, but Brett, uh, there's so much other stuff we could do—advanced uh, theories and things. And yeah, yeah. But let's let's go even more granular than yesterday when we talked about celebrity, the power of celebrity, the power of a celebrity president. Let's talk about the motive to run for office, and it's the motive that runs for office, regardless. Of of the level, right? You run as an alderman or a mayor, you run as somebody who is on the school board, the water board, uh, the planning commission, the zoning commission, you're running for office to state rep, uh, state Senate, U.S. Congress, all the way up to the presidency of the United States. Why are you doing it? It comes down to a simple question. Are you interested in serving the public or being served by the public? Are you interested in public service or being serviced by the public, which I know, I know it has an ugly kind of connotation to it, right? It's this implication that, that oh, they they get elected and then we have to bust our backsides to keep them happy there in Washington, D.C. Well, A lot of that's true. But let me take a contemporary clip. This is from yesterday in Ohio. So it'd be Saturday in Ohio, Saturday the 24th in Ohio. Kamala Harris is on the ground and she says this about the orientation of the Biden-Harris-Biden ticket, and it sounds like this. Joe Biden and
0: I are proud American patriots, and the reality is that the values that we have, I think, are shared by the majority of the American people. When you look at what we all want in terms of knowing
1: people have access to health care, especially in a pandemic where we just reached the highest numbers ever with 80,000, yeah, so I I cut it off there, right with the pandemic, and you got numbers as high as 80,000 pandemics, very important pandemics, an important thing. Pandemic was also a black swan event, right? And that was one of those things like 911. Nobody saw coming the difference between 911 and the pandemic, uh, versus uh, what we saw with the mortgage meltdown in 2008. Was that people people in the know knew that they were over leveraged and knew that this thing was going to be a mess and all that sort of stuff. But She talks about her values, our values. We have shared values with the American people. That's an important thing to have, right? You certainly would want to have your president and vice president share the values of the American people. I don't know what those values are specifically that she's talking about, because I think a contention could be made that there are people in public office right now who don't share America's values. If you don't think the Second Amendment ought to allow individual gun ownership, you're not sharing American values, constitutional values. If, if you think it's OK to sue the little sisters of the poor, the nuns, um, into submission because you are desperate to mandate that everybody on the planet uh, from from age uh, two to age uh, ninety nine be responsible for paying for birth control for other people you know it's just i don't know that that's an american value i don't know that it's an american value to purposely submarine people deplatform people censor people to tell people as barack obama was once famous for saying did it nearly every turn you, you have you have the freedom of worship you worship one one hour a week in your church go in your church your temple and your mosque but there's no you know freedom of worship that's not freedom of worship it's freedom of religion and freedom of religion was designed to protect the religion From the state, not the other way around, like those ACLU warriors like to talk about. But I don't want to get too far afield here, because she's laid the marker down. We have shared values. The values are shared. I don't think the values are shared in America. I think the idea that values are shared in America is a fiction. I think it's phony. I think it's fake. I think it's a construct by people like Nate Silver at 538. And uh, uh, Jim Carville and, uh, uh, you know, someone like Joe Scarborough tries to come off as reasonable and AM Joe or any of the other pundits, the professional pundits. I think the people that talk about the division in the country are a lot more honest. I talk about the division in this country. I like to talk to people from both sides of the division, but I like to think that there is a division in this country. We are divided. It can be red state, blue state, but can also be people within red states, red, red and blue, blue. And uh, those folks are are divided. But what it is that it comes down to is the nature of government itself. What is the purpose of government itself? Well, really, the social contract with government is that you will come together. You'll surrender a certain amount of money through taxation. uh, You'll surrender a certain amount of liberty uh, in the interests of a greater good. And by liberty, I mean, you know, you you do not enjoy the right to just go into somebody's yard and take something that they own because you want it. Right. That would be. Uh, Sort of the idea of anarchism, but we we all agree to participate and behave under the the doctrine that, all right, we're all going to come together because we think it's important to have um, water lines and sewer lines and roads and bridges and schools and jails and courts. And we're willing to give up money to do that, to kick money to the to the municipal government, to the county government, to the state government, to the federal government. To achieve these aims, we want to have a military that can defend the United States and we're going to pay for that military that that's going to defend the United States. Once you get into like progressive and flat taxes and all that, now, now you're just getting into the the minutia of, of how it is we we apply those funding mechanisms. But look at what we're doing here. OK, we have a fundamental disagreement over what the government is supposed to do. Right. The government is supposed to issue a, a mask mandate. I mean, Anthony Fauci was blabbering about that on Saturday. The federal government to come in and issue a mask mandate. We need the federal government to come in and buy back weapons, says Beto. But all of that's exciting and gets headlines. But here's what it comes down to. When President Trump offers the value proposition of making America great again, what does he mean by that? Well, he means no immigrants, Mexican rapists and uh, gang members, and he doesn't want to any- No, that's not what he means. Donald Trump is not a politician. What that means is he's not a guy who is used to going to people who are otherwise attempting to earn a living to ask them for money so he can continue to screw up their lives. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, prototype politicians, exclamation point. Gavin Newsom, prototype politician, anyone named Cuomo, prototype politician, Kennedy's and Rockefeller's and Bush's and Clinton's and Biden's. These are politicians, which means they view the voter as the impediment to their continued aggregation of influence and power and by extension Money. The American voter views their vote, their participation as the pathway to more safety, security and liberty. And none of that proposition by the voter is true. But for this, the politicians want your money and they're either going to get it from you sitting in an office Sitting in a boardroom, sitting at a union meeting in which you're whacking up dues or you are uh, uh, kicking up money uh, out of your association or your corporation or any of that sort of stuff, or they're just going to take it from you in the form of direct taxation. What do they do with that money? Now, this is where you get into the critical debate about whether or not Biden, Harris, Biden, or Trump and Pence what their orientation is towards government. James Pinkerton has a phenomenal piece that he dropped on Sunday. The swamp wants its Obama Biden insider crony deals back. This is what it is. See, Joe Biden has never worked a day in his life. Barack Obama has, he was a commutiny organizer. He was somebody who was, a, um, uh, a person that was the president of the United States But he never started a business, never built a business never employed a person, hired some people because he was obviously the president. But none of these folks have ever done anything in terms of, I'm going to go down to the uh, Secretary of State's office, not the not the federal Secretary of State, the Secretary of State in my state, and I'm going to pull the paperwork to do an LLC or an uh, incorporation, or I'm going to be a sole proprietor, and I'm going to start a business that's going to wash cars. I'm going to wash cars for $5 a car. And then... I'm going to work uh, uh, eight hours a day washing cars. I do two cars an hour, three cars an hour, four cars an hour, whatever the number is. And then I take my money. I kick my cut to the government. And then I try to put a roof over my head and take care of my wife and kids or my husband and kids or my partner and kids. I want to be fully ecumenical here. These politicians have never done that Bill Clinton's never done that Hillary Clinton's never done that the Bushes have marginally done it with oil deals and business and things like that. But let's be honest, the professional political class knows nothing, nothing of the toil and starting a business and getting paid last and three o'clock in the morning at the kitchen table doing your taxes and all that kind of stuff. The elites hate that. They hate that you do that. You know why? Why? Because as long as the elites know you're doing that, they know that at some point, someone out there in that world could emerge angry enough with enough allies to change it. Enter Donald Trump. Yes, child of privilege, wealthy, graduate of an Ivy League school. Father wrote him a check, was able to build buildings, did a bunch of stuff, silver spoon in his mouth. But a guy who understands how the system's played. See, when when Jeb Bush runs against Hillary Clinton, they both know how the system's played. Neither one of them is going to be aggrieved by the way the system is played because Hillary Clinton made her money the old fashioned way. Graft. Jeb Bush made his money the old fashioned way. Trading on business and influence. Neither one of them ever held a straight job. Really? I get it. Rose Law Firm. I get it. A uh, part of the Bush empire. But the reality is these have never been people who, who did anything, didn't open a retail establishment, didn't bring a new line of cosmetics to the world. None of that. Donald Trump understands this from two perspectives. He understands what it's like to be in the swamp, to be a victim of the swamp and to have to battle all the swamps around this country and around the world when he wants to put up a skyscraper. He understands all that intimately. So when Kamala Harris says we share the values of the majority of Americans out there, what are the common values of the majority of Americans out there? Depends. If you're a business owner, your values are hard work and keeping the government off your back. If you're a member of a public employee union, it's to figure out how you're going to get more money in the next contract and how your pension can grow. If you're somebody who's working as a lawyer, you want to go sue somebody and take their stuff. If you're a doctor, you want to hope you don't get sued because you're doing medical treatments on somebody. The values that are out there are essentially how do we take your money and how do we protect you from taking my money? That's it. As Walter Williams famously said in a column a long time ago, and I think he was quoting Tom Sowell, The only reason why you have people in Congress is you're either too lazy or fearful to go confiscate your neighbor's money. So you hire Congress people to do it and senators and state reps and mayors and city councilmen and all those people that create a layering of control in America. So when I look at Pinkerton's piece, it's over at Breitbart, Pinkerton, the swamp wants its Obama Biden crony deals back. Democrats say the swirl of allegations Surrounding Hunter Biden kicked off by two reporters at the New York Post and furthered by Peter Schweitzer. And contextualized by the Wall Street Journal have not been proven. Fair enough. We can have a full confidence that the information on Hunter Biden's laptop computer, as well as corroborating allegations coming from other sources, will be thoroughly investigated, right? Hmm. After all, there should be no doubt that Hunter Biden's laptop reportedly in an FBI vault is safe and secure, right? So nothing bad will happen to it or any other evidence associated with the case, right? Similarly, any and all allegations about how Joe Biden and the rest of his family and Kamala Harris might be involved will be carefully reviewed, right? Yet as we wait for the wheels of proper justice to do their proper grinding, we might look back to some issues concerning Joe Biden that are not in dispute. Because they're part of the historical record, and it sheds light on Biden's longstanding association With crony capitalism, this is what we're talking about, folks. This is what we're talking about. On October 27, 2009, Vice President Biden stood in front of the shut down Boxwood Road manufacturing plant in Wilmington, Delaware, and proclaimed the facility would soon be reopening, making hybrid electric cars. American innovators, American business and American laborers never let the country down when given a fighting chance. And today, this factory in Delaware and the industry are going to get back up off the mat. What was the answer to the question? The U.S. government loaning money to Fisker Automotive to start building cars in Joe Biden's home state. The cheering headline on the White House blog. You've got to believe building the cars of the future in America. If That name Fisker Automotive isn't familiar. Perhaps it's because the company didn't last long. It received at least one hundred and ninety three million from Uncle Sam. Fisker declared bankruptcy in 2014. And was bought out by a Chinese company called Wang An all-new company, Fisker Inc., was created in 2016, but as the Washington Post reported it in 2013, while Fisker Mo- Automotive was still alive, it benefited from a fog of politically connected investors and lobbyists, including people like Al Gore. Al Gore. And a senior partner at a venture capital firm called Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield & Byers, we might observe that the fog that the Post mentioned is another name for the swamp. That person at Kleiner Perkins, John Doerr, served on President Obama's Council on Jobs and Competitiveness. In other words, Fisker was connected. Too bad its connections didn't add up to a viable commercial product. But now memories of those boondoggles from the Biden-Obama years are coming back. Cylindra, for example. Remember Solyndra? Do you remember the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the stimulus bill, which was signed into law by Obama on February 17th, 2009? ARA, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, spread $831 million across, a billion dollars, B, billion dollars, across the nation. And as the word reinvestment in the bill's title suggests, Obama administration's spin was that the government would be wisely investing that it would be playing venture capitalists, seeking out projects that would create good jobs at good wages and be green, too. Do you remember all of this? Do you remember when Barack Obama in March of 2009 declared Joe Biden Sheriff Joe? He's going to be the sheriff because if you're misusing these taxpayer dollars, Joe Biden's going to be coming at you and coming at you hard. The mainstream press played it up to the to the top end of things, the, the the mainstream press said, look, we're getting this money out there and Joe Biden's watching the money. And well, Peter Schweitzer headed up the Government Accountability Institute. He still writes. But a decade ago in 2011, uh, in a book that he authored called Throw Them All Out, how politicians and their friends get rich off insider stock tips, land deals and cronyism that would send the rest of us to prison. Schweitzer studied the workings of the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act that was headed up by Sheriff Joe. He found that loan programs operated by the U.S. Department of Energy seem to have distinctly swampy. The Washington Post might call foggy, but it's the same thing, characteristics that were overrun by lobbyists and the well-connected. A large proportion of the winners were companies with Obama campaign connections. That's quite something, isn't it? In particular, Schweitzer crunched the numbers on the Energy Department's 1705 loan program that found that 16 billion of the 20 billion granted went to companies either run by or owned by Obama financial backers and individuals who were bundlers. 80% of energy loans designed to get us clean, green, efficient energy went to Obama insiders. Where was Sheriff Joe? What patrol was he on? Now we're looking at the real possibility of Joe Biden as the 46th president overseeing spending programs exponentially larger than they were when he was the sheriff. Fisker and Solyndra all come to mind, and Biden has said he rejects the AOC-ish Green New Deal is too expensive and expansive, yet even his smaller program is huge. He pledges to be in charge Of a total of $6.7 trillion in new spending. The reason I bring this up is this. You have people who are out there who are Republicans and Democrats. Who are creatures of D.C. They hate Donald Trump. They will tolerate Mike Pence. But they hate Donald Trump. Because they look at the picture in front of them. And they say, this guy is bad for our cronyism and inside business dealing. Barack Obama and Joe Biden ran for election, ran for reelection. And you saw the results that came from that. Donald Trump, as he said, I think effectively in the debate on Thursday night, said, the only reason I have this job, Joe, is because you guys didn't do a good job. Let's take it from the macro down to the micro. Trump understands when you get the phone call from Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi that there's going to be a big ask when it comes to money. He understands that these people are going to call him up and fellow business owners up and say to them that if you, if you don't write this check, terrible things are going to happen when the other party gets into office. And there are Republican donors who are getting the same phone call from the Republican Party making the same declarations of gloom and doom if you don't write checks to quote stop the democrats trump has seen all sides of this equation he has seen what it's like when you're running a a business in a city and the mafia comes calling or the mafia politicians come calling or the unions come calling or the candidates come calling or the social justice warriors with their signs and threatens threats to loot come calling. He's seen all of this. I'm not endorsing and saying he's the smartest guy in the world, but experientially he's been on both sides of the table, both sides of the phone. And I think inside he feels a measure of sympathy with the people who will never get a call back from a single solitary politician. You're going to get an intern or a legislative aide who's going to say, Mr. Ramirez, uh, it's Ramirez, uh, Mr. Ramirez, I'm with the Senate office of Joe Blow from Kokomo. And I understand you had some thoughts about your health premiums. Yeah, my health premiums are just like through the roof and I'm going to have to shut my business down and, and lay off and and lay off, you know, uh, uh, 40 people that work at my company because I can't afford the the premiums anymore. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm making a note and I'm going to send this over to the communication shop. They always have the shop. I'm going to send this over to the communication shop and and they're going to look at this and we'll make sure somebody gets back to you. Do you know what ends up happening? Nine times out of 10, nobody calls them back. One time out of ten, they end up getting solicited by the very same office they just called to complain about the healthcare premiums. See, Donald Trump—he didn't, he didn't give a rat's rip about healthcare premiums. He—he's he, writing healthcare—I'm uh, uh, sure healthcare payments with multiple commas in them for his employees, and his contractors are writing those checks and all that kind of stuff. But I think, as he went out around the country in 2015 and 16, and saw how much his messaging resonated with the american people while kamala harris wants to talk about we have common values in common what he was seeing by listening to and watching the reactions from those people who had turned out in rainstorms and snowstorms and the heat of the summer at at destinations around the, the country i think he saw what the uncommon values were not not unique values, but the values that were not quite so common. The idea that you say, you know what? We will uh, make uh, this decision to sell the car so we can pay the bill. We will take on a second, third or fourth job so that we can uh, pay our bill. The roof needs to be repaired. I'm going to see if I can barter. With, with the guy three houses down to help me put the roof on. And in exchange, I'm going to help him do his water heater because we really don't have money to have people come in here and do this. And when Joe Biden does his ah shucks, Scranton, Pennsylvania uh, sort of act, when he's at the debate and he talks about the empty chair at the table, there's an empty chair at the table. He, 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 can, he can recite the lyrics to the song. But if you sit him down in front of the piano and ask him to play the working man's blues, he doesn't know what note to hit first on a piano. He can't even hum it. He's positively tone deaf. A friend of mine was a defense lawyer in New York city, a notorious defense lawyer in New York city. And, and he used to say to me, you know, it's amazing. I know where Jesus lives. And I would say to him, well, what do you mean? What do you mean you know where Jesus lives? He lives on the courthouse steps because that's where the guys going into court pick him up. They take him into court. They say they've amended their lives and they've changed and they're going to do better. then on their way out the door, they leave Jesus right there on the top step and go back to their typical lives of double dealing and criminality. Politicians act a lot in the same way. They got their working man values. They got a flannel shirt. John Kerry wants to know if he can get a a hunting license here. Can I get me a hunting license here? They're Bill de Blasio eating pizza with a fork and a knife. You've got all these folks that are out there running around and every two, four or six years suddenly, darn it, they're looking like regular people like you or I. But they hate you. They hate me. They hate most of the Americans that stand, as I said earlier, as an impediment to the aggregation of more of their money and more power. Nancy Pelosi had the temerity to stare into the eyes of the American people and tell them that they had to pass a bill to find out what was in the bill. And then she stood there after declaring that she wouldn't impeach the president, that impeachment was not on the table. She went along with an impeachment, an impeachment that 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 distracted America from From the pandemic. Time and time again, you're left with these choices. The polls are amazing. You're left with these choices of politicians. By and large, Congress has like a 20% approval number. But in the districts, these members of Congress, people routinely rate them very highly. Oh, I I love Nancy Pelosi. I give her a 60% approval rating. I hate that guy, Ted Cruz. He's the devil. The orientation in all of this—that's important to understand—as we enter into the last just about a week of campaigning—is that corruption is real, corruption is extensive, and the people who are most corrupt are most likely to try to con you into believing they're not. They'll dismiss it as foreign diversions or or, or some sort of a, a of a of an, an interference attempt in the election. And right now, you've got a hard drive in the possession of the FBI. Other hard drives and phones in the possession of the FBI. And you've got uh, declarations by an incarcerated inmate named uh, Bevan, Bevan Cooney, who has attested in person and via access to his own emails to Peter Schweitzer. You've got three different examples of, corrupt- of corruption happening as it relates to Team Biden Harris Biden. But you're told that's foreign interference. And the social media outlets are going to go hammer down on that and all of that. And the central question isn't even about the corruption that's baked into the cake. The central question as we as we wrap up this podcast episode is this orientation. What is the orientation of the politician asking for your vote? Oh, see, Brett, I thought oh, I thought you were fine. I thought you were a modern guy, Brett. Now you're asking about orientation, not sexual orientation. I'm not talking about someone's sexual orientation. I don't care what the sexual orientation of anybody is. I care about the constitutional, ethical, and political orientation. When you're talking to that politician, knocking on your door, shaking your hand, is that guy or gal or non-binary candidate, are, are they oriented towards serving the public or being serviced by the public, being serviced by people who have no power? Exhibit A, Cal Cunningham. I'm a veteran. I'm honorable. I'm messing with one of my buddy's wives who was in the military. That's an orientation of a person that wants to be serviced by the public and friends alike. Joe Biden's got a 47-year career of being oriented towards being serviced by the public at nearly every opportunity. Donald Trump is a deeply flawed character. The fact of the matter is, he could walk away from this job literally tomorrow, could tender his resignation tomorrow, walk away and still be known as the guy that put through 300 federal judges and three Supreme Court justices. It's a pretty good accomplishment. No matter what happens in the election, Donald Trump is still in the history books forever as President 45. What's his orientation? Is it to being serviced by the public? Or is it to trying to be a voice for you among the so-called servants of the public? I would argue he wants to see the system reformed and not looking to be serviced by the public. I'm Brett Whitterbull. It is Devious Motives. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at Vi. that's vi.com.